Welcome to episode 797 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Alrighty, Tim, welcome along to episode 797 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Ives. How you going, mate? I am pretty good, Bevan. That's pretty good. Um, Bevan doesn't let me wear headphones anymore. Can you hear all the banging outside or not? No. No, it's good. (laughs) Bevan's got a building site next to his place. It's all happening. Yeah, it's all happening. It's all happening. Well, definitely nosy neighbour. Good. My house right now is a great nosy neighbour area. Are you a nosy neighbour? Moderately. Yeah, come on. Because that house is getting built. Look out that window, watch it every day. Mm-hmm. That house underneath me is for sale. He's pointing. He's just and it was designed by some Sir Architecture. Yeah. So it's a very interesting house. Don't, not really my thing, but interesting. House in the corner is for sale. Mm-hmm. So lots of open homes to go to. <laughs> <laughs> so it's all good in the hood. I talk is proudly brought to you by our awesome patrons uh, Mike, the Farber Fox, Hewison. Some of these are our old time patrons. We love you guys. Uh, Rob, the Greater Cummins, who you had on the show, Irish Rob. He's got the bike shop uh, in Ireland. How did it say Barbie, Barbie's last name? Barbie the Dinky Dynamo Bristole. Bristole, Bristole, beautiful last name. Okay, we've got some news. We've got Hot Topic of the Week. Uh, we've got an interview. We have. We're talking to James Alvary from Race Ranger. Some of you may have seen uh, this product that's come out and or been announced in the last week. I mentioned it last week. It, I think they... No, you didn't. You teased us. I teased. You didn't mention anything. You said, coming next week? I can't Kiwi, tell you anything. Kiwi Invention. And it's now out. Uh, it's a drafting detecting device that's uh, they're sort of building up and starting to get ready for market. So he goes into great detail about uh, the product, and it sounds awesome to yeah. help uh, ease drafting. Yeah, it really does. It sounds like a really fascinating product. Uh, five, 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 and then winger of the week. High five. I've been struggling with my voice lately. It's a pain in the bum. Anyway, no results. We had no real news uh, results from the weekend because there wasn't any racing. But this weekend, we've got another exciting weekend of racing. Well, we've got Cozumel and then we've got IMS Africa. Now, is IMS Africa still a championship race? It is still a championship okay. race. So when we look at Cozumel, if we look at the, the females field, uh, we've lost Sky Mont. She was down to race, but she raced... The weekend before last, I think it was, um, when she had a good battle with Heather Jackson. Heather Jackson is listed down to start, along with Sarah Crowley, Carrie Lester, Sarah Svintz. Um, so pretty good field. Lindsay Corbin's in there, Angela Neath, Michelle Vesterby. So pretty strong field. Last year's winner was... Who did we have last year? Last year, Carrie Lester took it out. So she's a defending champion. And she went 45-minute uh, swim. Sometimes they have a bit of current in that swim. Uh, 4.38 and a 3.10. In fact, that wasn't last year. That was 2019 because they didn't have a race last year. But You buried the lead, didn't you? I buried the lead. Well, yep. but well no. racing. Yeah, so we're on the, the boys' side, this is going to be interesting. We've got Christian Blumenfeld racing. And he's taking looks to be taking this pretty seriously because... Not big on the old uh, social media, but I follow him. And yeah, he's been building up for this for quite some time, pretty much since the Olympics. Uh, and he is locked and loaded and ready to go. And if he does anything like his countryman, Christian Eden, um, not Christian Eden, 
Gustav Eden. Gustav, yeah. He is going to crush it. So really interesting to see how he goes. Um, and he's up against some good athletes, Patrick Nelson. Um, Sebastian Keenlay's got an asterisk next to his name. I'm not sure if he's racing or not. Michael Weiss, Cameron Wirth, and Rudy Wild. Last time they had this event, uh, Tyler Butterfield took out the race uh, in a 7.44.01. He came home in a 2.38.29. And that was like 10... Ten, nearly 10 minutes quicker than third place getter. So Andreas Raven's racing. His name, I did notice that as well down there. That'd be awesome to see if he still uh, got a little bit in the old ticker. Um, how, would he be, how old would he be now? Be before mid-40s? Mid-40s? No. Mid-44 in my mind. Jeez, he did race against like Macca and stuff, didn't he? And 45. Right. Yeah. So he had different so he's definitely mid-40s. Yeah. Not yeah. unbeven. Uh, a little bit about Christian Blumenfeld. Obviously, we know he's the Olympic champion uh, on his PTO um, sort of listing. He's got weight down at 74 kgs. I reckon he's probably not that heavy, but that's what it says. Is he quite small? Well, he's 174 centimetres, so same height as me. It's uh, quite 74 small. Is, he's, he does look stocky on <laughs> yeah, the camera. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, he doesn't look small, does he? So uh, he's 27. In terms of his long course racing, um, he Bombed out of the 70.3 Worlds this year. He had uh, mechanical ch- mechanicals, didn't race any last year. The year before that, he did Bahrain, won that in uh, three hours and 25 minutes. Got, he got fourth f- in the World Championship. But I, I seem to recall, that was in Nice, I seem to recall he had some challenges on the bike okay. um, with that race as well. Uh, but when he did do that... Um, 70.3 where he went 3.25 he beat Daniel Beckengard by 4 minutes and he was 8 minutes in front of Casper Stornis so it was not like it was a, a nothing field uh, so yeah fascinated to see how he goes he's taking it pretty seriously and he's talking up a big game well and let's be honest he's a bit of a legend so you mm. can talk a big game one other thing which you don't have in your notes is Gustav Eden is now officially the one number one ranked athlete in the world right now he is on the PTO rankings, yeah. and that wraps up some stage in December, and there's a big bonus at the end, so he so won't be able to... Fredino won't be racing anymore, is he? No, Fredino was was going to do South Africa, but he got sick after going to the States when he was going to race. Yep, uh, California, wasn't it? And so, no, there's no, nobody's going to be able to overturn him, so he'll get a nice, big, fat... Time, time does run well. Sorry? Time does run well. Mm, he did, indeed. Yeah. So Cosmel this weekend, hopefully, I'm not sure if they're doing live coverage, but it should be pretty awesome. Okay, we also have Ironman South Africa, which is a regional championship for the African region. Mm-hmm. Um, good field. Yeah, last year Ben Hoffman took it out, along with uh, Lucy Charles Barclay. There's uh, not many females in the race. No, there's not. I mean, it's just hard to travel these days. Susie Cheatham was initially listed to be down there. Ruth Astle is racing, uh, and she's predicted to win by 12 seconds over Manon Guignet uh, from France with Imogene Simons. Uh, Imogene Simons raced recently as well. She did. Uh, she blew up a bit at wherever that race was fairly recently that uh, Heather Jackson won. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if she doubles up again. Ruth Astle's also coming off a win. She won... Ironman Mallorca not that long ago. Uh, so, yeah, relatively small female field, you know, around about 10 athletes or so in there. Um, boys' side, 
pretty strong. Sebastian Keenlay is listed to race uh, this event as well. Nils Fromhold, um, Rasmus Svensson, uh, Maurice Clavel and Jesper Svensson. So quite a few of the uh, Europeans heading down to South Africa. Quite a few names have been crossed off since I looked at this yesterday. Joe Skipper was down to race. Christian Hogenhard was down to race. Justin Metzler was down to race. Brent McMahon. So yeah, quite a few uh, have actually pulled the plug. Mm. But it should be a great race. It's 31% of a typical Kona field, according to Torsten. It's $100,000 up for grabs. Two Kona slots um, for the males and females race. And pays 10 deep. In other news, what's Iron Man's purchase of, uh, what's that, full gas? Full gas. What's that all about? So, this is, I just saw this on Slow Twitch yesterday, actually, so a number of you will have seen this as well. Uh, so we know that with all the virtual racing that Ironman had, they were using the Ruby platform previously. Yep. Yep. Uh, and for those that don't know what Ruby is, it's, it's, a, it's a filmed... Um, filmed overview of uh, courses around the world so they were using all their 70.3s and Ironman courses going out and filming them and then you can ride them if you're on a smart trainer it simulates all the hills and things like that so you get a, a good idea and good feel for what the course is like and what the scenery looks like uh, so they've obviously ditched Ruby and they've gone and actually purchased Full Gas which I've actually never been on but it looks like it's a fairly similar platform to, to Ruby in terms of it as video footage so I think there's two things here firstly I really like this because you can go and preview courses that you're going to be going and doing and get a feel for the profile it's not the same when you do it on the trainer the hills feel harder on the trainer typically I do that mm. I mean you can, you, can, you can change your, your settings and stuff so they do feel a bit easier but typically they feel a bit harder um, but I think the, the plus is you get to actually see what the course is like and see what the profile is like it's sometimes hard when you just looking at a profile on your computer screen and it can be a bit deceptive uh, so I really like that it also opens up that door if we're going to see more virtual reality racing which I think will definitely wane as uh, you know depending on what happens with COVID it was a great gap filler at the time uh, and I still think there'll be a place for it I think I'd, I still like it but I don't think it'll be quite quite as uh, full-on as what we saw in, in sort of peak COVID times so check out full gas it's a f-u-l-g-a-z is that becoming a bit of a saturated market now you know because obviously he's worth the winner yeah, well, um, it's interesting. I'll I'll um, I'll do a little review. I've just done a couple of sessions on uh, Wahoo. Have got a new platform called Wahoo System, uh, and I've tried a couple of their sessions. And, and what's it like? It's cool. I like it. But um, is it, you, other than like Zwister's graphics, mm -hmm. and it seems the competitors have gone. Let's not do graphics. It's just a real world. Mm -hmm. is, is anyone offering anything new? Uh, well, they're all slightly different. So the Wahoo System that I went on. It's kind of more like you're in a race and, the, and they change the tempo of the music and they have pictures of you, you're in a bike race and you're on the attack and things like that. And this, they're all quite different. But how many subscriptions do you want to be paying for at one time? So, And mm. it's that kind of often thing that's, you know, like who has the biggest market will win. You mm. know, so Zwift's so far ahead of the game. Swift's, yeah, miles ahead of so the So like game. right now, would you get rid of Zwift to go to Yahoo? To, to go to Ruby or Full Gas or Wahoo? Yeah. Um, no, probably not. Um, yeah. Because the, the, the appeal for me with Zwift is, is Zwift Racing. Um, but at the same time, I'm not a, I'm not, I, I want to get outside as much as possible. Yeah, of course. Whereas a lot of people are on there 100% of the time. If I was on there, you know, 90 to 100% of the time, I would probably then have two platforms so then you can chop and change a little bit. The other thing is as well, Zwift, you've got all your badges, you know, you've committed so much time to that platform mm. and... 
you know, got you by the balls. Well, in some ways, they have, haven't they? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I agree. It's just interesting. It's, you know, like it's it's often. I read a really good interesting book by um, some guy who's a big business guy, and he said you really want to find business, invest in businesses that have no competition, mm-hmm. and often commodities like this. Eventually, what happens is they just end up getting a lot. Everyone can copy it, really, and so it becomes quite a saturated market. And we're kind of seeing that happen now, aren't we? Mm. There's lots of options, not much innovation in the market now. It's kind of oh, I wouldn't say that. It's just getting that foothold in there to get people to have more than one subscription. Because well, you're right, I don't think they will give up Zwift for the people that are on there. Th- but can you get to that point where people are happy to pay for two or three subscriptions? A bit like your TV channels in New Zealand, it's a slightly different market than overseas. You know, we've probably got about five different platforms you can buy on. To, to how many people have signed up for all five at one time? Not many. I, I think most people have one or two. Mm. You might have a Sky and a Netflix or a Neon mm. and that. Um, the, the, the advantage I mean do have is a massive database. Totally. You know, and they can they can use that their influence to get people onto that platform. So, that, you know, it does give me a head start. And that's the other thing with this full gas one. What I would be doing is if I didn't have a permanent subscription, might go on there for a couple of months in, the, in a preparation period to check out the course or in the middle of winter when I, and then just turning it, turn it on and off. So, yeah, hard market to be in, but Swift is certainly making few dollars, I imagine. Yeah, come on. Okay, uh, this week's discussion. If you had a million dollars to wager on Fredino versus Eden over a 70.3 distance race, who would you pick? What about an Ironman distance as well? Oh, you get a, a famous person to do because if you start from the top. Cam Brown. Cam Brown, he took it out. He said, I'm going Eden. Yeah. He, just, he just put Eden. Yeah. He got lots of likes. Uh, Andy Ashton, Fredino on both. Marcel Van Kempton. Uh, what odds are we giving? Well, it's a million dollars or nothing. Yeah, there's no odds. <laughs> yeah. yeah, winner takes all. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. There's a real mix here. Richard Palmer says Eden. Daniel McIntosh says Frodo. Eden won't even leave a scratch. Christine McKinley's got Frodino on both counts. Never discount the Olympic gold medalist, world champ, plus Kona course record holder, who hates losing, plus knows how to win. Got Arnold Sulikoff, the sleek chic. He says Eden without a doubt on both. So it's both seventy point three and the full. Pet Petro Acha says Eden. Fredino is yesterday's man. Why can't we bet on Langer? Oh yeah, John doesn't rate him. Um, <laughs> Neil Hastings got. I, I would. Uh, I would bet on uh, a fit Ellie Brown to beat both Len, both Really? Of them. I looked up Ellie Brown. He's record at long distance. It's, it's actually is better than I. He's had a couple Realized. of fast races, isn't he? And he, and he, uh, seventy point three worlds. He got third behind. Was it second or third? No, he got second. Second. Yeah, um, to Fredino. Fredino. I wouldn't put a million bucks on Ali Brownlee if he was going up against. Not nowadays. No. No, he's he's, he's he's definitely past his peak. Um, ben Pastella has got Eden for seventy point three. When it comes to iron distance, uh, for every day it doesn't happen for a day odds length. I would, it would depend on who else is racing. That's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, race dynamics on the bike will have a huge impact. A large pack of Uber bikers like Starkey, Worth, Sander uh, and Long getting in front in the early stages would edge Frodo's way. Uh, Hua Chin depends very much when this goes down. If it's soon, Frodo for Ironman, Gustav for 70.3. If it's more than a year or two down the track, Gustav yeah. for both. Seth Bidding says it very much depends on the course, terrain and environmental conditions. I do think um, the hilly terrain favours Eden and Fredino has more advantage on the flatter courses. Um, for a hilly 70.3, Eden. For a flattish Ironman, Fredino. A flat 70.3 is hard to call, but I'd bet on Gustav and a hilly Ironman like St. 
George, I'd give it to Eden as well. Uh, well, let's wait and see in six months' time. Peter Colson's got Eden. Jan would have him over covered over the iron distance, but Eden has everyone covered over the 70.3 distance. I still think for the, um, Joe Skipper will win Salt Lake City's World Championships. Interesting call. Yeah, it's Very a call Joe Skipper has been going great guns at the end of the season. Yeah. Uh, lastly, Richard Swan's got, I would select some dodgy Indian bookmaker, so I would bet a small portion of that amount and pocket the rest for free. So it's quite split. I, I, I didn't do the numbers, but I'd say it's 50-50, yeah. I reckon. What are um, your thoughts? Also, remember the question was over 70.3 um, and or Iron Man. I think I'd probably put my money on Eden over 70.3 um, on any sort of course anywhere in the world. I think I'd go for him. Then when it comes to Iron Man, if it was not Kona, I'd probably go Eden. And if it was Kona, I'd probably go Fredino. Really? Just because Why not of Kona? Well, Fredino's a legend. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Kona had won. No, but, it's why, but outside of Kona, why? Well, I think when you're first time going into Kona, uh, just dealing with the heat and the dynamics and all that sort of stuff, we've never really seen anybody win other than um, uh, Van Leard, um, Luke Van Leard. And we haven't, we've seen people come in, get seconds and thirds on debut, but haven't seen anybody win. I certainly have, wouldn't be surprised if he did. In terms but of you think you'd take him outside of Kona? Yeah, I think he probably possibly. Who knows? It's just I think well, it, whole I discussion. Think, I think it'd be pretty close, but I reckon Eden would outrun him, and so as long as they came off the bike close or together, I think he'd outrun him. Um, but then you know, Frodo is just such a weapon swim biker. Oh, he and might tough. if he if he got five minutes in front. Um, we haven't seen Fredino under really under pressure very often. The only time I've really seen him go absolute all in and collapsing. Well, no, it was when he did the, the tri-battle and you saw how rooted he was at the finish of that. And the 7.3 real gems. When it was him, um, Brownlee and, and Gomez. Come on, he went deep that day. Yeah. That ruined his Kona. True. But yeah, that was an awesome race. And it was oh, Mano was. Mano, yeah. three of the best athletes in the history of the sport, coming 3K to go. So who, had, who are you picking then? Oh, I say, I'm, I'm with you, but I say he wins it everywhere in Ironman. I say at this moment, if, it, if, if California had happened, I would put my money on Fredino. Okay. You know, um, I say 70.3, um, what's his name? I've gone blank. Eden. Eden. Yeah, he, he, he's just young and fast. Mm-hmm. I don't think Fredino, Fredino's probably lost that, you know, he's 40 now. I'd still pick Fredino to get second. I'd still pick him to absolutely spank everybody except Eden. But there's this moment when the next generation comes through, isn't there? And there's that moment when the, the star of the next generation comes through. And to me, that's happened in 70.3 in this next moment, in this, in this last moment. Eden's performance a couple weeks ago, wasn't it? Yep. Just absolutely stellar. Um, I just think an Iron Man. But we haven't, we're having this debate, Frodo has not put a foot wrong. No, and it'll, he ever. Was, he was fastest at the, um, the, what was it called? The Collins Cup. Yep. He did the bloody record time this year. True. And he so was we're riding him off. And oh, I'm not. I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm saying he's 7.3. I think he takes it. Yeah. Eden takes it. But it's, it's a pity at Collins Cup they weren't matched. Yeah, totally agree. You know, that would have been awesome, wouldn't so it? So let's just remember at the 70.3 Worlds, Gustav Eden, Gustav Eden won by four minutes. You know, over who? Over Sam Long and Daniel Beckengard. And he wasn't under any pressure. He probably could have won by quite a bit more. So. Yeah, so I, I think I think he gets seventy point three, but I'm still putting my money. 
If it's a million bucks, I'm going Frodo anywhere in the world, nine men. Mm. At this moment, 18 months from now. We need this race, people. We need it. It's a gut of California didn't happen. It is. Because it would have been really fascinating. Because they both would have gone into it pretty peak. Or, or Eden raced a couple of weeks later and smashed it. And Fredino never turns up unprepared. So, um, oh well. The question Mate. is, how much longer have we got with, with Fredino? It's 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 unbelievable how fast he's going at his age. Mm. It really is. But he, he can't keep this up for no, that much longer. No, Couple no. of years. Like that that try that record was it try try battle. Try, that was an unbelievable performance mm. in shit conditions by yourself. Mm. You know to beat the world record by yourself, and God, he's tough. So. We're splitting the odds. Okay, this week's discussion. What item of equipment would you want to buy in order to be faster and tw- I've changed that into yeah, 2022? So Christmas is coming up. I'm thinking... We had the interview last week. We had you got some ideas. Got some ideas. What are you going to buy? Or what, do, what would you want to buy? Not necessarily what are you going to buy. What are you going to buy to be faster in 2022? Very good discussion. Okay, we've got an interview. We have, we're talking with James Alvery from Race Ranger. Here it comes. Here it is right now. Okay, team. Uh, today's guest is James Alvery. Uh, Kiwis will know him because he was an uh, elite athlete for many years. In fact, he was only 10 seconds off being a world champion back in 2002 in the junior worlds. Uh, it's been a long time racing on the was ITU circuit, now the World Triathlon circuit, um, sort of across the world. And that was his former life. He's into, into all different things now. So uh, I mentioned this product last week that was coming out. That's about as much as I said, and now it's out. Some of you will have seen it. It's basically uh, a drafting detecting device, which we're going to talk about. So welcome along to the show, James. Thanks for having me, guys. Hey, um, before we sort of get into the actual nitty-gritty of the device, um, maybe just give us a bit of background on where the idea came up for a, try and have a device that detected drafting, because we all know, we all figured it's kind of possible, but how did you actually start this whole process? Yeah, well, basically, um, as you say, everyone, everyone sort of thinks about it, but um, when you sort of get into the problem, it, it's quite a complex problem. So um, we sort of felt, hey, someone's going to do this one, at some point, we might as well give it a crack. Um, so how it sort of came about is Dylan McNeese and I, um, sort of best mates from long, long time ago, racing together. Um, I was sort of coming to the end of my career, end of 2012, hadn't made the Olympic team, had a go at uh, long distance, but um, didn't really enjoy it that much, just around, basically around the drafting rules and sort of position penalties that you could get as a pro. Would have taken me a couple of years to sort of adjust back to that. Um, I was a fairly strong cyclist, but um, just, yeah, the, the tactics of that was going to take me a couple of years which I didn't really want to put into it. Uh, so I was sort of figuring out I, I was going to retire and Dylan and I were messaging. He was um, in the States racing uh, Olympic non-drafting at the time, getting himself into that sort of getting ready to win his Challenge Wanaka, I guess, mm-hmm. a couple of years later. And um, yeah, we were just complaining about drafting and saying, hey, someone's going to sort this out at some point. And I was at the point where I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life after sport. Um, and so, yeah, just, just sort of snowballed into a, an idea that we should, have a look at it um didn't obviously wasn't a job straight away so i'd sort of come home and get a job and um, ended up working at specialized which i'm still with today um but yeah we, we sort of chipped away at it in the background and um over the years we tried different things in uh, 2013 straight after that we we tried lasers on bikes which is sort of the first thing that jumps to mind for everyone why don't you just shine a laser beam onto the road and that'll be the guide um, but it turns out you need a really really high power laser to uh, make it show up in really bright conditions, um, but also um, it's it's quite um, manipulable. You can manip- manipulate the angle of it with your hands um, pretty easily. Oh, so, okay. 
Um, yeah, and you need a legal strength laser to, to make it bright enough. So we scrapped that idea. Um, a couple of years later, 2014, we tried uh, ultrasonic sensors. So it's basically a little sensor that sends out a sound signal, um, bounces off things and me measures the time it takes to come back. Uh, and that, that can be actually quite accurate. Um, but the problem with that was that it bounces off everything. So trees and road signs and all sorts of things. And you can't really determine between one athlete and another. Uh, it's just, just noise coming back at you. Um, and it's also um, affected by temperature quite a bit. So we scrapped that idea. Uh, we actually spent some money at that point and formed a company for the first time. So that was 2014. Um, and then, yeah, really nothing really happened for a few years. We're just sort of talking about it over beers every, every few months or so. Um, but until, yeah, basically you guys will remember Lauren Vidal, uh, Andrew's partner mm, at the time. Yeah. So um, he was a really good friend of mine. We, we spent a lot of time training together. I helped uh, him and Andrea prepare, prepare for the games in 2012. That was my last year when I was over there. And um, yeah, Lauren was a really inspirational guy. He uh, yeah, sort of the kind of guy who would never um, accept sort of mediocrity or, or, or sort of think that something was impossible. He would live by that slogan, impossible is nothing, or they didn't know it was impossible, so they did it. And um, obviously, Lauren passed away at the end of 2015 which was um, super sad. And uh, he'd actually been the best man at my wedding in France that year. So um, yeah, a year on from his passing was end of 2016. And my wife and I were living in Auckland at the time. Uh, we just have a, had our first kid and you know, we owned a house, but we didn't live in a great area and we just couldn't see ourselves really ever getting ahead. We had decent jobs and things, but cost of living is pretty, pretty steep up there. So um, yeah, we were thinking about, you know, what should we do? Should we start a, a French breaker or something? Why French? <laughs> but um you know, nothing really seemed worth going all in on or that would, you know, actually make a change to our lives. So at one point she just said to me, you know, what about your drafting thing? Just just bloody do it. What would Laurent do? And so that sort of lit a, lit a real spark for me. And I, I spent about two months online after that, um, just trawling through these wireless, you know, uh, technology forums and, and radio frequency stuff. I had no idea what I was doing. I'm not an engineer at all by, by training. I, I have science degrees. That's about as close as I get, but um, it's a sports science degree. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so we, we sort of came across this technology eventually after two months and it looked like it would do what we needed it to do and on paper. Um, and then it's been, um, yeah, nearly six years uh, sort of building up and, and you know, doing R&D on, on this technology. Um, it turned out that it was, it's designed to do a certain thing um, and we had to remove all the software that makes it do that and completely reconfigure it to do what we need it to do for triathlon. So it was, wasn't a straight sort of, oh, here's a component that does something. We'll add that with a couple other things, a battery and voila, we have a device. There's quite a bit of, um, oh, will, will this actually work? And then, okay, how would we go about trying to find out if it does work? Kind of thing. So, uh, where did you get the process. expertise from? Because I know you're working with the University of Canterbury. So, and for overseas listeners, we've got a university where Bevan and I live, uh, University of Canterbury, very strong engineering university. Uh, how did you get them into the mix and, and how does that sort of work? Yeah, so initially we started working, we, we actually you know, Googled um, you know, electronic development companies in New Zealand and turns out eight out of 10 were in, in Christchurch. Oh, wow. And so it sort of all spun out of uh, Tate Electronics and I think it was Jade Software over the, over the last sort of yep. 20, 30 years, um, which I didn't know. You know, I was born in Christchurch, spent a lot of time there and um, you'd never know, but there's just hundreds of these little companies, I wouldn't say hundreds, but lots of little companies, you know, making things and, and there's even, you know, manufacturing and, and all sorts. It's quite, quite um, mind-blowing. So we met with a lot of these companies and um, none of them had ever heard of this technology we we're working with. Um, and until one of them said, oh, hey, go talk to this other guy, Marcus, he might, might be able to help you. 
and he squeezed us in into the day um, and he'd worked with this stuff before. I actually made some uh, player tracking devices for sports teams like the All Blacks with similar technology. Um, and yeah, he really, really liked the idea. Could see where we were going with it. And um, we've been working with his company ever since. He's got uh, 15 guys there working for him, a uh, little, little company in, um, in Middleton. And mm-hmm. um, from there, we kind of you know did some initial investigations and it got to the point where we needed to put some real resources behind it and, and sort of have at least sort of one or two people working full-time on it to, to figure out whether it was going to work or not. Um, and at the time, you could get grants through um, Callahan Innovation through the government to have um, sort of uh, career, um, they're called career grants. So students who've just finished their master's or their PhD um, and you can employ them for six months and they basically pay for the wages. So we approached the university. So Canterbury's obviously probably the top university for this kind of engineering work in New Zealand. And so that was all a good fit. And um, by stroke of complete luck, the head of the wireless research department uh, is a guy by the name of Graham Woodward, Woodward, who's... um, an epic camp member of John's. So he's yeah, an age group triathlete. I'm not sure. I don't think we had him on the recent podcast, but I definitely, w- I think I would have got him last year. And if I haven't, Graham, if you're listening, we'll make sure we get you on. Sorry, carry yeah. on. Yeah. So that was, that was amazing. So we, we sort of hit it off pretty well with, with uh, Graham straight away. And um, yeah, he sort of fed us as top uh, PhD and master's graduates since then. And um, they're sort of working out of uh, part of his lab, which is, which is great. And um, yeah, he's, he's sort of been involved like on our weekly meetings, he comes in and, and sort of just gives gives input and, and feedback on, on sort of technical things uh, where we might need it. But um, yeah, so we've ended up with a couple of employees there at the uni and uh, this company in Christchurch who are doing the sort of hardware development and our guys are writing the firmware. And then um, there's a third company now involved from Queenstown who are helping us with the uh, enclosure, so the, the external design of the, the system. So, yeah, you know, it's a real startup kind of story. Funding and, and, you know, is it kind of scary, you know, like, because obviously you're trying to get to market, get it to the market and the rest of it. Well, tell us about the funding side of the story. Yeah, so um, it, to date, it hasn't really been a, um, a really, really fast process. You try and go as quick as you can, obviously, with anything like this. Yeah, but, um, you know, because we're quite a way away from revenue, we haven't had to quit our jobs and, and sort of have a three to four month runway when we're going to run out of money. So yeah. it's just been a oh, seller bike here, you know, Downsize the car here. Um, put, put, <laughs> you know, you know, two two to five thousand dollar little lumps in, um, and then yeah, kept this this Callahan f- uh, funding has been great as well. It's really supported us. You know, at times when we we've totally run out and couldn't do any more, um, which has been fantastic. Um, and I guess the company we're working with as well, um, they they obviously put a lot of time in for free, which was which was great. Just really you know, enthused on on what we're trying to do and see a lot of other applications for the technology if it, if we can pull it off. Um, and then yeah, recently we've actually gone out and, and, and raised money for the first time. So sort of external um, investors, which has been really interesting. Uh, took a lot longer than we would have expected. We sort of started preparing for the process in January, February, uh, started going out to people in um, sort of uh, May, May, June. And um, yeah, we just, just got the money in the bank for the first time last week. So quite a lengthy process, especially with um, the COVID uh, action that's been going on in New Zealand. We haven't been able to get to the, the North Island. So today all the, all the investments come from the South Island. Um, the round is officially still open. So if there's any, I guess, investors out there who want to yeah. contact us, um, love to chat to you. Um, but um, we have actually had through, a few come through in the last week just contacting us with uh, with all the announcements that have gone out. But um, just, yeah, with, with regards, is, is it tough because obviously you want to get the product to the market, but then you've got to spend a lot of time trying to get your investors on board as well. Or is it just a part of the game? Yeah, it's all part of the game. You, you, you're sort of told to expect about you know three to six months process. Um 
the preparing for it was a, was a big effort. I, I sort of, because we've had, um, you know, five, six years at this, it's not sort of a six month thing, been able to read basically every startup book you can find. And um, so I, I feel pretty comfortable with, with what was coming up and, and knew what to expect and all that kind of thing. But um, yeah, it, it takes time and the preparation for it was massive. I, I probably went a little bit overboard, but I felt that if you've got everything ready um, and, and sort of prepared and, and you, you, what you call your due diligence folders. So you have all your documents still at the business written up, really nicely presented and just Basically, if someone wants to look into you, you just you send them a Dropbox link and, and they've got everything they could ever possibly want to know about the business. So I spent a lot of time on that. And um, I think doing that was, was great. And then it, it, it saved a lot of time once we started engaging with people. Um, but yeah, at the same time, there's, there's a lot to wade through. So the process takes a while. So, yes. Before we talk about how this device is actually going to work, maybe just talk us through the hardware side of it so people can kind of picture what's going to be on their bike um, from a physical point of view. Sure. So um, you can head to our website, raceranger.com. There's some, some images there. But what it is basically is uh, two devices per, per athlete uh, that they're given before the race as part of their race pack, just like you are with your, your race numbers and your timing chips at the moment. Um, and one gets attached to the front fork and the other one gets attached to the rear of the bike, either on the seat post or down on seat tube. Just has to be mounted above the top of the uh, top line of the rear tire. Um, now, they're just attached with zip ties at the moment. We're sort of working on some um, some ways to sort of make that a bit, a bit prettier and maybe some more aero options. Um, but yeah, our focus has really been on the, the technology to this point, and it's it's not so much about the uh, the user experience or how we attach it to bikes. We sort of see that as a an easier mechanical issue to work through. Um, but yeah, you're given these two devices, you attach them on your bikes. You don't have to do anything with them. They're totally um, foolproof. There's no buttons or, or USB ports or anything like that. You can't can't mess with them really. Um, they are scanned on the way into transition and checked to make sure that they're um, fitted correctly, that they match your ID and that they're actually functional. Um, we can also check them once you're out swimming so that no one tries to swap their devices over with everyone else to <laughs> play with the system. <laughs> that would yeah, probably we had to think of everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So, they're, so they're pretty solidly zip tied on there, but um, you know, you, you could, you know, there, are, there are those kind of people out there. Yeah. So we can, do, we can randomly check them while you're swimming to make sure they match your ID and that kind of thing. And what's um, the weight and size? Yep, so they're a circular shape at the moment. Um, so it's quite, pretty much like a hockey puck sort of shape and they're about seven centimeters diameter across mm-hmm. and um, 2.7 centimeters thick. So um, they're, they're, you know, they might seem quite large, but that we've come down from quite a, quite a big device to get to that. And there's definitely room to get it smaller. This is just the first iteration that we felt, um, you know, was small enough and kind of looked okay enough to, to put out there into the world. You should always sort of be a little bit embarrassed your first product, they say, but um, mm. we, we prefer to get this out there than you know, spend maybe another year trying to get it smaller and potentially cause a lot of issues uh, because we've got, you know, we've got four different antennas in there currently. And with antennas, you generally try and keep them as far away from each other as possible. So the, the smaller and smaller you go, the more and more risk you add, to, will it actually work? So um, this is the smallest we felt we could get it out there. Um, the weight, it's um, the kind of prototypes are uh, 85 grams, which is um, 3D printed uh, prototypes, um, which, you know, that's a fr- for a front and a rear, 85 each. Uh, the Garmin Barrier product is listed at 100 grams. So it's a similar sort of, I guess, radar with a battery and a light in it uh, that people are familiar with. So it's sort of, yeah, not ridiculously um, heavy. Um, we'd like to make it more aero down the line. Um, as I say, just trying to get it as small as we can to start with. And um, yeah, particularly that front one looks a bit sort of of a wind wind block um, on the side of your fork and up nice up in the wind. But um, the rear one's not too bad, obviously tucked in behind. But uh, yeah, we'd like to get a bit more aero down the line. 
So in terms of the athlete experience, you know, try to picture us that you're in a race, what's going to happen um, when you're out there riding in terms of what you're going to see and how you know what's going on. Yep. So um, this is really the part that we're about to start testing and, and sort of refining. Um, we've got we've got lights working and, and things like that, but we just want to, um, I guess, finesse that uh, with some real world testing. So um, how it currently works is you're riding along. You don't have to do anything, obviously, turn it on or anything. You start your race. Um, as you come up to someone ahead of you to, I guess, enter their draft zone, um, from before you reach the draft zone, there'll be a warning light will come on. So at the moment, it's a, a slow red flashing light uh, when you're at 16 metres. So you cross over that 16 metre threshold, a flashing light comes on to show you that you're now coming up to our zone. When you get to 14 metres, that signal changes to a rapidly flashing light uh, to give you warning that, hey, you, you're, you, you're safe now, but if you come any closer, you're going to cross into the draft zone. And then once you cross that 12 metre line, which is the rule for most races these days under World Triathlon rules, uh, that changes to a blue flashing light. So you now know that you're in the zone and you need to complete a pass. And you've got 25 seconds generally to do it. And so we've put a, a little red flash interspersed with the blue ones every five seconds to give you a countdown of that 25 second pass time. And that's, that's basically how it works. So you, you then complete a pass. Um, once you pass someone, your light then turns on so that they are looking at your light. Um, and we put it on the rear of the bike just so that it doesn't distract you from what you're doing by looking down at your handlebars every half a second to, to sort of monitor the, the lights. Mm. So it's already where you're looking up ahead on the road. The device on the rider in front of you is the only one that's relevant to you. So that's giving the signal to you, not, um, not all the other devices around you. So they do monitor each other um, more than just one-to-one, -one, but it's just the lights. For the lights, it's just the one immediately in front of you. Um, and yeah, I guess that's the, the basic functionality. So how, how the system kind of works is it, um, it's measuring that distance really, really accurately. So that's making up to 10 times per second a distance measurement. Uh, with an accuracy of 10 centimetres or better, uh, even at sort of 30 metres apart. This, this technology is freaking awesome, to be honest. Yeah. And um, yeah, we, we do keep track of a large number of athletes further out than that 30 metres, but we only want to really know with precision where you are within that sort of 25, 30 metres when you're getting close to that draft zone. So um, that's sort of how it works. Um, there's Once you go over that 25 seconds that you're allowed, we then start a timer and what we call a legal time. And so that illegal time is anything over the 25 seconds will be sent to referees within the area. So they are still involved. The referees still make the penalty decisions. This is sort of some feedback we got pretty strongly from people. Um, we made a system, well, we made a video of a system originally, which showed a, um, an automated system. So it didn't need referees anymore. It decided who got penalties. And we had some theories around how that would be decided. But the, the strong feedback was um, we were wrong. <laughs> I was wrong. And um, yeah. Yeah, both athletes that was, and referees. That was going to be one of my questions is, you know, further down the track, do we do we need race referees um, to be out there? Because uh, I know you, when I spoke to you last week, you know, you're saying they still ultimately make the calls. But, um, yeah, was your initial theory is not really necessary? It can all be automated. Yeah, I mean, the technology could be, you know, you can write anything with software, so it could be written mm. to do that. Um, I think uh, this is quite a bit for everyone to get their heads around, unfortunately. It's not a new set of elastic laces or a new even like I work at Specialized it's not a new bike and everyone knows what a bike is and hey there's two or three new features and this is what it looks like it's a bit to understand so it's going to take us a bit we don't we just don't want to change too much at once it's just mm. um we tried to stick to the current rules as much as possible um for example you know penalty tents are still on course you still serve your penalties on course um we haven't changed the drafting zones or anything like that um 
So we didn't want to change too much to begin with. Uh, so yeah, the feedback was definitely keep the referees involved. They We need some human judgment in it, which if you look at other sports is, is sort of how they work as well. Uh, you have your third umpire in cricket, they still judge it, you know, and then they send the decision down. But the doubtful of that is in our sport, you know, you're not just watching one moment of a player. You, you're in our sport, is could be potentially 50 people breaking the draft rule at the same time. So there's that yep. limits the effect of a tool like this if you have to wait for a human to actually be a part of that interaction. Yep. So um, how it works is that the referees can watch um, drafting. They get this illegal time sent to them and they have a tablet mounted on the back of the motorbike driver in front of them. And um, so they're still patrolling the course and they're receiving data from athletes within sort of five to 10 K of them, both ahead and behind them. So they're cruising along at, you know, 30, 30, 40 K an hour, same as the athletes. And th those, that data is being sent to them. And then the app then works out which are the worst offenders in the area. So we're not, trying to target every little piece of drafting. That was another piece of feedback we got. The referees themselves only want to see the worst offenders. So we pick those mm -hmm. people out first. So you're only going to see, as a referee, you're only going to see like the top five uh, worst offenders around you. And that then asked, you know, asked the question of how do we rank the worst five? Like what constitutes the worst drafting? And this was actually a pretty philosophical discussion. We had two two-hour calls with it with um, World Triathlon and we involved other people from you know Ironman and, and Challenge and those kind of people as well on this discussion but um it, it's a it's a quite an interesting thing how do you what is what is really bad drafting and what's not so bad drafting mm. so what we came up with is a um a rolling 15 minutes so in the last 15 minutes if a referee hits refresh on that screen they'll be shown the worst five and those worst five are ranked on the last 15 minutes how much illegal time have they accumulated mm. so if you're just you know inadvertently stuck or you've um someone's you know blocked you and you've you've had to go into their zone for you know i think it's pretty hard to be stuck there for 25 seconds but these things happen yeah. but if you're if you're one of the worst ones you, you you should be worried if you're just if you're trying to avoid it actively you shouldn't be too worried you should be okay um now we also added um to the as a data set to those points so we've got those worst five we also added a, a column of um yo-yo count so the number of times someone enters the zone and drops back out this is something that's technically illegal but in practice a referee won't always call you out for it. They'll often actually pull up beside you and say, hey, mate, just, just drop it back a bit there. You're getting a bit close because, you know, end of the day, you're both guessing on that distance. Mm. So their judgment is, hey, drop it back a bit. So they, they actually tell you to drop out of the zone. So we wanted to provide that yo-yo count as a secondary piece of information, but it's not a ranking factor. Now, if you do a yo-yo, if you enter a zone and drop out, that whole time that you've been in there will immediately be counted as a legal time. It won't be, you won't have that 25 second grace that you do if you've completed the pass. Um, nice. Yeah, um, so we had to sort of think through all the ins and outs of it. You've thought about a lot. It's bloody because every question I kind of got it seems like you've covered. Um, in terms of getting a penalty, obviously, if you've got race referees on the course, you know they'll come up and and show you a card or whatever, and you go to the go to the tent. But I also know you've got a, I don't know further down the track like a smart tent. So maybe explain yeah. this because I, I became really unhitched with this on the one single drafting penalty I've ever had in Kona pulled up the tent there's like 30 mm. people in the tent and there's like three mm. watches and i was like what the hell's going on here um but talk yep. us through the smart tent yeah so when you receive a penalty it's worth saying like, like the penalty is totally up to the referees what they do with that information that we're giving them on the tablet they can they can drive ahead and, and you know gut check have a good look at the situation make sure that there is actually some drafting going on or whatever they want to do they can they can apply the penalty at whatever point they want they can they can even not apply a penalty, just come and communicate with you like they currently do sometimes. They can still show you a, a red card or a blue card for drafting. 
Um, so if they do decide to give you a penalty, that, that's sent to your front unit because you've obviously moved on from the device that reported you, which is potentially behind you now. Um, so your front unit receives the penalty. It has a sound alarm that goes off and some flashing lights that aren't as bright as the other ones that, that shine up at you to get your attention. They'll, they'll go off for about a minute. Um, so you, you sort of get that notification. And then as you approach the penalty tent, there's a, um, a roadside little device that will measure, you know, uh, sorry, detect that you're coming and alert, uh, alert you that you have a penalty via a traffic screen. So one of those big sort of orange detour LED traffic signs, there'll be two of those um, on the course, one before each penalty tent. And that will show your race number and your um, that you have a penalty basically to remind you. So that's sort of 100 or so meters before the tent. Uh, and then you, you pull into the tent. And yeah, the tent obviously is a smart tent. So it knows that you're, you've entered it. So it's pretty easy to do that by your devices. So um, as soon as you sort of enter the zone, it, it starts counting down your penalty time. And this, yeah, as you say, John, makes it a lot easier for the referees that are there, particularly in those situations where, you know, at the moment we've got a situation where we've got hundreds of bits of paper, well, maybe not hundreds, but lots of pieces of paper, one for each athlete laid out on the table within that tent, which could be quite windy. Um, they've got uh, stopwatches on each one or, or a number of stopwatches, and they're meant to start a timer each time an athlete comes in and, and match that watch to that athlete. And yeah, as you say, it can be quite chaotic. Uh, so the way, the way the app works is it, it sends this, this penalty straight to the tent. So the tent already knows to expect you. And then once you enter, it, um, yeah, it starts counting down your time automatically. So really the, the referees just have to sort of watch, um, you know, make sure you're not you know, littering or doing anything else you're not supposed to be doing in there. Um, and yeah, there's a, a little, screen little there that counts dribble, down to time. A little dribble rolling down your leg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those kind of things, yeah. Or swearing um, at referees and that kind of thing. Wait, wait, just, what about people who try to sabotage it? Yep, so I obviously had to think of that as well. Yeah. So we, we've tried, we're trying to make it as, um, as hardy and robust as we can. And that, it, you know, you think of a timing chip, it's, it's just a solid piece of plastic that you don't even think about. And it's nice and hard. And, you know, if you wanted to, there's no incentive to mess with the timing chip, but if you wanted to, you could put it in the microwave and you'd destroy it, but yeah, there'd be no yeah. point, right? So we're the same sort of principle with ours. You could destroy it if you wanted to, but it, we've made it as hard as possible. Um, but there'll be that scan at, at the entry transition. So it'll be, you know, if your device doesn't work, then we'll be taking a look at what's going on because yeah. they, they should be working. Um, and yeah, I guess the other thing is once you get out on course, potentially you could, um, you know, try and cover it up in some way or, or mess with it with some sort of, um, tinfoil or something. Um, and so firstly, this would be a disqualifiable offense. Mm. So this would be one of the few sort of amendments or additions to the rules that we need to add. Um, so if you, you're using a race ranger in a race, um, if it's a race that's using it for everyone, um, if you're caught, I guess, tampering with the system, you'd be. You know, disqualifiable offence, so it's probably a deterrent. But then the only one you really shouldn't be, you know, there's an incentive for you to mess with is the front one, which is down halfway down your fork, um, which if you're trying to hold someone's wheel drafting, um, it's not the easiest one to sort of reach down and <laughs> mess with safely. Um, and, you know, it's quite, probably quite obvious that you're trying to do it as well. So, um, it, you know, just putting your hand over it won't completely wreck it. It can go through your hand. <laughs> yeah. Um, if, if you put a you know your whole body in front of it, that would you know distort the the accuracy, but it still can get through you. It's it's quite a cool technology. So um, anybody that comes back to transition losing a finger, you have to have to quick <laughs> question question what they're doing. Um, yeah. What what are the other some of the other things you know questions you get because you know when, when I've got a list of questions I had things like you know tight zones where it's inevitable mm -hmm. people have to draft hills and things like that. But it sounds like you've got that covered by sort of having that you know 
ranking of, of who's offending worst and you, and you can program in sort of bits of the course where drafting is mm. not going to apply. So what are some of the other you know, questions people have had for you that you've, um, you've answered? Yeah, so just on that, non-police zones. Yeah, so there's areas of the course where referees wouldn't give you a penalty currently. So your first few K of the bike, uh, steep hills, um, narrow descents and things like that. Uh, so those are non, non-police zones. So not, there's no uh, illegal time going to be reported from those areas, um, which I guess the athletes don't need to know. They should still try and avoid drafting. But um, for the referees, peace of mind, they won't be getting drawn to those areas all the time and, and sort of places they don't really want to be policing. Um, so that's a question we get. Um, I guess, you know, the big one is what about those races where there's just three, 4,000 people on the course and and um, it's all jam-packed and it's multi-loops or whatever and it's just impossible to avoid drafting? Um, none of your races, of course, John. No, but, um, not at all. <laughs> yeah, 150 <laughs> people boxing. <laughs> yeah, I guess, I, I mean, it's, it's a problem today and, and this is not going to totally cha- alleviate that problem. It's not a silver bullet. Um, we see... The big events, uh, I guess, recognizing this problem either publicly or not, and and moving towards your, your sort of wave starts or your rolling rolling starts with five ten athletes going off together every 10, 15 seconds. Um, yeah, it, it's we feel like it's being slightly addressed. Uh, there's still issues. This may, I guess, highlight those issues um, and, and hopefully accelerate change in that area um, because you know athletes want a fair race generally, and um, this will sort of point out that sometimes it's not possible to do that. And I guess in, the, in those situations, it is still, you still have the lights as a guide. So as an athlete, you, you now know, and you have a constant reminder, I guess, that, hey, you shouldn't be this close. So do your best to get out. Um, but the referees ultimately have the same power that they have today. So they have more information, so they can pick out where the worst bunches or worst offenders are. Um, so that, you know, in those races often, where it is hard to avoid drafting, you, you, you often feel quite vulnerable. You feel like you could get pinged for something you're not really trying to do. Whereas there are people who are out there who are you know, obviously not trying at all, they're, they're rotating and, and lapping it out. And so this should pick out those really bad offenders and, and not so much, you know, people are trying to avoid it still. Um, and it is ultimately the referee's decision uh, whether they do apply a penalty or not. So at today, if, if, they, if they're taking a lax view to, to big packs, um, they'll probably still take a lax view to it with this, um, but at least they'll be able to pinpoint where the worst offenders are on the course. So obviously, you know, most ninety-nine percent of our listeners aren't actually your customers in terms of who you're going to be selling to. You know, it's going to be the likes of Challenge and World Triathlon and Ironman, and, and I've already seen. You know, you've got a relationship with World Triathlon. I reckon Challenge will be all over this. Ironman, we'll have to wait and see with regards to those those bigger events. Um, I know for me, it would appeal to me if I saw an event that had this technology attached to it saying we're going to be using race ranger. And then I know I'm going into a, a fairer race. So I guess my question is for, for listeners who like what you're saying here, you know, what can they do to help you, you know, get this process moving along? Sure. Um, yeah. So we're, I guess at early stages engaging with, with the event companies and the federations around the world. Um, we've had a lot of talks with them over the last few years and it's been, Hey, you like, like the concept? This is really cool. Um, give us a call when it's ready. And I guess what we're doing now, going out and telling everyone about it and um, coming up to these public trials over the next few months is really saying, hey, we're ready to start talking with you um, through 2022 and refining it and, and sort of scaling it up and figuring out how it slots into you know, their event operations processes of how they put on an event. Um, so I guess what can people do is, is really we need all the athletes, age group of base out there to get behind it. This is, we're saying this is something not just for the pros, unfortunately. 
Um, we, yeah, pretty, pretty early on figured out you couldn't manufacture anything um, or you know, spend all this time doing R&D um, and create, you know, any kind of business, uh, unless you're one of these billionaires in the sport. Mm. Um, <laughs> that's just for the pros. So there's got to be a, a sort of a cost recovery and, and sort of has to apply for the age groupers as well. Uh, so any age groupers we, we feel will want it. So, um, yeah, at the end of the day, it is going to cost, uh, you know, just like a timing, timing services company, we deliver the service at, at an event. Um, and so there's a charge that the timing company and, and we will pass on to the event company, which, you know, ultimately goes into entry fee. Now, um, we, we haven't been able to put a, a firm number on that at yet, just because um, it's really hard to get accurate uh, quotes at all, really, for any electronic components at the moment with the mm, COVID uh, issues, yeah. Yeah. unfortunately. So, you know, we've got a, we've got an idea and we know we want, we want to land and it's, you know, it's, it's affordable. You know, it's just a, this is Dylan and I, we're a little startup here. We're not, we're not trying to be the next Garmin, um, you know, mm. who knows one day, but yeah. um, we don't, you know, we've got a realistic idea of what people can expect to pay and, and would, would sort of accept. Um, and, we haven't, we've sort of arrived at that, but we, we have, can't confirm it yet, I guess, because of the, the uh, component a, costs. But yeah. yeah, when you're paying a thousand bucks for an entry fee, um, there's enough wiggle room in there, I think, to make this happen. No, look, this is awesome. Really excited about it. Yeah, great. Um, from, from me, from an athlete point of view, because I've always said, you know, I don't really want to go back to Kona until I can get at least a semi-clean race. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of the Ironmans around the world are, are in a similar sort of boat. So um, it's awesome. So give us a plug in terms of the, the website and, and any other ways uh, people can follow you at the moment. Yeah, I guess, um, as I was getting to, we just need to get as many people behind us as we can to, I guess, you are the customers of those events. And and if you demand this, surely they've, they've got to listen at the end of the day. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, I guess, as loudly and proudly as you can, let them know that, hey, I'm prepared to pay, pay a little bit for this. And uh, Love to have it at, at your next event. Um, yeah, if anyone wants to find out all about what we're doing, it's the, the whole story. We've gone, we've gone pretty deep. It's all available on our website, uh, raceranger.com. Uh, we've got yeah, social media accounts. Instagram seems to be going quite well um, so far. Weekend, got Twitter and, and, and LinkedIn and those kind of things as well. Facebook. Um, we have set up a GoFundMe page, which um, you know it's great to have some money coming in, but really it's it's more around um, it's almost a petition. Just the number mm. of the, the more names we get on there, you know, even if you're giving us. $1, $5, whatever it might be. Um, that, that's a list of people who are, you know, want to see this succeed and are prepared to put, get, get behind it. So it's a donation, but um, yeah, love to have uh, as much uh, support as we can from the, the age group community around the world, really. Uh, so that's under yeah, GoFundMe. You can yeah, search Race Ranger. Um, but yeah, I guess just um, stay, yeah, keep following us and, and watch the story grow. I guess we're going to try and get to some events. Hopefully we can get to John's event in uh, yeah. December. It depends on yeah some, some manufacturing lead times, but um have a, a set of prototypes there. Uh, that would be sort of a uh, what we call an MVP lights only system. So it's um, not having that connection with the referees turned on yet, but um, we sort of write the software for that over the following few months. But um, yeah, a light system where we can start getting feedback on, you know, are the lights too bright? Do we need to have more of a pulsing pattern? Uh, how do the colors actually work? We've, we've sort of had some feedback that. Um, if you have lights that flash too brightly, too, too rapidly, it can trigger you know, epileptic fits in some yeah, people. Yeah, so yeah. we have to be careful of that. Um, also, Jan van Berkel, the, the Swiss pro athlete, he's actually a, a lawyer. As soon as we showed it to him, he said, oh, you can't have blue flashing lights anywhere near a road in Switzerland. Uh-huh. So um, <laughs> we've, got to, we've got to work through a few user experience type things like that. Yeah. Um, and and it, really around the, the dynamics of those thresholds. So is, is 16 and 14 meters the right, you know, right numbers? Do we need to sort of tweak that? What's what's sort of the reality of um, people want to see on the on the on the course? 
exciting times ahead and I'm looking forward to seeing how this develops guys we'll be uh, keeping you informed as it develops um, over the next couple of years because it's something that I want to see uh, get out there so love your work James are you, are you keeping yourself fit these days <laughs> uh, unfortunately not really no um, yeah got three young kids so obviously family first and then um, got a day job 40 hours a week specialized yeah. and then obviously the race range has been sucking all any spare time and, and a lot of my sleep the last few years so um, <laughs> my, my health and my body are a distant fourth unfortunately but yeah got lots of lots of plans and dreams but um not at the moment yeah, oh, so. good luck seems like you're doing really good work awesome love your work thanks james thanks guys jumbo your thoughts i think this looks awesome and they're just they could have really got this wrong in terms of not thinking about all the tiny details you might yeah. have the product there and going this is detects drafting but I couldn't have any questions there that I kind of yeah, catch them out on. Their bases you know, you're thinking, <clears throat> so I'm thinking, put myself in my position I was in Kona, bloody, what was that, 20, 2014? That was seven years ago. Shit. And I'm putting myself in that position going, well, I, I, it's just about impossible not to draft. But, you know, the system here is going to be getting the people that are consistently drafting the worst. And that's what I like. I think at a lot of these Ironman races, if you put one on, on everybody in the course, like, such a high percentage of people are going to be infringing at some time during the race. Um, but I, I just, I like it. I think at small to medium-sized races, it's going to be just amazing. At the big races, we've got to do the product development to see how it actually works and what do you think eventually we Like, I, I actually think eventually I'd rather not have humans involved. Oh, totally. I think you know, like, I get why people, but like, new technology... You know, you probably still want a human to go along and check along. Mm. But the problem is when humans come along and check along, everyone knows. Yeah. You know, when you're drafting, what do you You're always looking over your shoulder to make yeah. sure that you don't you see hear draft the draft buses. Coming yeah, up totally. behind you. Yeah. So, um, whereas if it was just like, mate, you've broken the rules. And there might be a higher standard. It mm. might be that, you know, you get two warnings and then the third time you're out or something yeah. like that. Um, because, you know, again, the, the, the volume of field often means in certain races it's hard not to be drafting. Mm-hmm. Um, but... All that stuff can be programmed in. That's yeah. the cool thing about yeah. it. And as I said, just that small example, you pull into a drafting tent, you know when your five minutes is up, you're off. Uh, so I think the age group side of it, I'm really excited from a personal level because I think it'd be nice for your racing. I'd be fascinated to see how this pans out with pros. You know, when you've got that pace line and and how much time are they actually drafting? Pros tend to have a, a, a draft buster on the whole race, don't they? They do, yep. Um, like I do agree this is a good tool for the pro mm-hmm. race. Um, but they, they definitely have a lot more scrutiny mm. in their experience, mm. you know. It's it, Whereas in age group racing, there's a lot less scrutiny. Mm. So, so that, I think it's all good. And look, if, if any of you guys are out there, you've got a few spare bucks, go on to their GoFundMe page. If you like the sound of it, you're going, man, I wish this would happen at a race I did. Flick them some money on GoFundMe. And if you're somebody who's retired and you've got a crap load of money and you like the sound of this, maybe try and get in contact with them in terms of actually investing in a product that could make a really, really big difference to our sport. Yeah, good game on. Okay, and if you want to go to the website, it's racerangers, raceranger.com, and I'll put a link there in the show notes. One, two, three, three four, four, high five. five. Okay, John, five reasons why you might not be swimming straight in the open water. This came about, we had our uh, first sort of local open water swim at the weekend, went out to Lake Roar. Saw the photo, you yeah. the, the crew. Yeah, we've got uh, the Pack and Save Triathlon Festival coming up on the 28th of November. So anybody in the South Island, get on it. First race of the season. And a lot of people seem to be struggling to swim straight. Uh, I, I 
swam a really poor line. I swam a straight line. <laughs> I cut a massive corner. I was like, whoops, I, should, I shouldn't have cut that corner. But a lot of the time when I get this question often is people struggle to swim in a straight line in the open water. So a few quick tips that you should be thinking about. Um, that, because the main reason is when you swim in a pool, you can constantly self-correct yourself. You've got that black line in the bottom of the pool. So number one, um, your hand entry. Very, very common for people to have their hands entering in front of their head. Uh, when you do that, you sort of pull to the side and that sort of means you end up zigzagging through the water. So you want, your hands should be going in line roughly with your shoulders and not sort of pushing across in front of your head. Uh, so get somebody to film you in the pool and just see if that's the case for you. I was filming somebody the other day and just every stroke, hand in front of the head, hand in front of the head, end up zigzagging their way down the lane. So that's number one. Number two uh, sort of com combines in with number one a little bit is crossing your center line. So when you're swimming, you kind of got you know through the middle of your ribs and you just got that center line all the way down your body. A lot of people, again, will have their hand crossing over that center line below the water. Like in some people, it will be going all the way over to the other side of their body. And now that's partly hand injury as well, isn't it? Part, yep, it's, it's, it's a self-correcting. You know, everything's like a chain reaction. So if your hand goes across in front of your head and then you sort of pull to the other side to get yourself back on track and then you kind of pull back across your centre line to correct yourself. Um, so Who's the lady who, I've totally gone blank on her name, who's the swimming lady who we've had on the show quite a few times? Carla. Carla. Yep. When she was teaching you to swim, yeah, she was. She, she was, was going really wide. Each really she? wide. Like it was so, unbelievable. Yeah. So you've got to decide what. Try different things. What's going to work for you? Did you apply that? Uh, well, it certainly helps remind me to keep my hands a bit wider because I do have a tendency to sort of to come in. So who, yeah, go back and listen to that. Just look up Carlin Pipes and and there's actually a video that we did because we we're mm. in Kona when we we're doing it. Um, the video on if you search for that episode, you always see a link to the video. And it's and it's the, that her her style that she preaches is kind of like a little bit like Lucy Charles style. It's a high turnover, wide hand entry. Um, short stroke. Uh, Not even worrying about choppy. pulling the, the full stroke, eh? It was mm. more just like get in, get the main bit, get out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so crossing your centre line is number two. You really got to try to, and again, it's like a 30 second video clip and you can actually see what you're doing. Number three is poor sighting. Uh, so when I see people doing their sighting, often they'll lift their head up and kind of do water polo style and be looking around. What you want to try to do is carry as much speed as you can when you lift your head. So when so if I breathe to my every stroke, hand in front of the head, hand in front of the head, end up zigzagging their way down the lane. So that's number one. Number two uh, sort of com combines in with number one a little bit is crossing your center line. So when you're swimming, you kind of got you know through the middle of your ribs and you just got that center line all the way down your body. A lot of people, again, will have their hand crossing over that center line below the water. Like in some people, it will be going all the way over to the other side of their body. And now that's partly hand injury as well, isn't it? Part, yep, it's, it's, it's a self-correcting. You know, everything's like a chain reaction. So if your hand goes across in front of your head and then you sort of pull to the other side to get yourself back on track and then you kind of pull back across your centre line to correct yourself. Um, so Who's the lady who, I've totally gone blank on her name, who's the swimming lady who we've had on the show quite a few times? Carla. Carla. Yep. When she was teaching you to swim, yeah, she was, she she was, was going really wide. Each really was wide. Like it was so, unbelievable. Yeah. So you've got to decide what, try different things, what's going to work for you. Did you apply that? Uh, 
Well, it certainly helps remind me to keep my hands a bit wider because I do have a tendency to sort of to come in. So, who, yeah, go back and listen to that. Just look up Carl and Pipes. And, and there's actually a video that we did because we were mm. in Kona when we were doing it. Um, the video on, if you search for that episode, you always see a link to the video. And it's, and it's the, that her, her style that she preaches is kind of like a little bit like Lucy Charles' style. It's a high turnover, wide hand entry, um, short stroke. Uh, Not even worrying about choppy. pulling the, the full stroke, eh? It was mm. more just like get in, get the main bit, get out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so crossing your centre line is number two. You really got to try to, and again, it's like a, 30-second video clip, and you can actually see what you're doing. Number three is poor sighting. Uh, so when I see people doing their sighting, often they'll lift their head up and kind of do water polo style and be looking around. What you want to try to do is carry as much speed as you can when you lift your head. So when so if I breathe to my left most of the time when I'm open water swimming. So what I'm doing is when my hand is pulling through the main part of my pull face, I'll be going to breathe, and as I turn my head to the left, then I'll actually be swinging it around to the front and just having my eyes just above the water. And by doing that, you know, my hand's pulling all the way through and I've got sort of maximum propulsion. So when I do lift my head, it's not going to mean I sink right down. As soon as you start sinking, then your head's got to come further up and, uh, and it all turns to custard. So poor sightings, number three. Number four, following idiots that are making um, all of the above errors so they're not swimming in a straight line but this is a bit of a judgment call yeah I, I would never half, I think of all the racing I did in triathlon other than a real small race where you you didn't really get a pack I never looked up because mm, I, I was never in the front of it if I was in front of the pack I was getting to the pack pretty quickly <laughs> um, and I never looked up I just watched feet it's it's a good point because whilst I do say following idiots that are making the above errors if you can be following someone that's swimming a little bit off course, the gains you get are such that you're, you're better off staying there, but you kind of got to make that judgment call. If they're zigzagging all over the place, then it's a slightly different story. So you just got to try and find a pair of feet that are swimming relatively straight. If you're a bit off course, not the end of the world, but if they're zigzagging, then you might want to think otherwise. Yeah. Number five, uh, having crap goggles. Uh, so get yourself a set of race goggles so you can see clearly and maybe try it some of the Magic Five. Uh, and then finally, poor eyesight. If you've got somebody, if if you've got really poor eyesight, go and get your eyes lasered. Um, I, I was oh, really? that's yep. commitment. <laughs> Just go get go get them sorted. Go get lasered. Yeah, you know somewhere. Sorry, I know someone. Fenton Eye Clinic, come to Christchurch. Uh, but seriously, it's a big investment of money. You know, it's about I think I don't know what it's like in different parts of the world. You get some discount, right? In, in New Zealand, <laughs> it's about seven grand um, to get both eyes done. But the savings and the improvement in your quality of life is amazing. So check that out. So there you go. A few points. If you're not swimming straight, if you're going into the Northern Hemisphere season, now's a great time to head down to the pool. Get, uh, you see, sometimes a lot of pools won't let you do any filming, but even if you get somebody to whip out the phone just for it, like you just oh, need a tiny little capture uh, and straight on in front of you, you'll be able to pick out those first couple of points in terms of your hand entry crossing the centre line and then go back and uh, try to fix it up. Go back in a couple of weeks, whip out that phone I've, again I've got a strategy. I've got a strategy. You've got to go in a time when it's quiet. Yes. So no one, you know, the time when you know no one's going to be in the pool, mm -hmm. or at least you're going to get a whole lane to yourself. Mm -hmm. Then you go to lifeguard. Lifeguard's the most boring job in the, life, in the world. <laughs> My ex-girlfriend Raylene, she was a lifeguard when she was studying. Yeah. She would ring me every day saying, "Can you just come hang out, hang out with me at the pool?" They are yeah. so bored. It's a horrible job. And so yeah. then what you do is you go up and say, "Can you feel me?" Because mm -hmm. I just wanted to look at my technique. Mm -hmm. So they get them involved in the game. No worries. It's not a bad strategy. I, th I think 
in different parts of the world, that strategy might not work quite as well. In New Zealand, I think we're a bit more free and easy yeah. about things like that. Yeah, you're not, you're not getting sued in New Zealand, are you? No, but in like the UK, I've got somebody who's moved back to the UK, and the rules and regulations that she's going through is just. In what way? Oh, like with a, a running group, you've got to have a. Oh, I don't. You might you might instigate this as well. With your running group, you've got to have a specific type of high visibility uh, running vest on if you're going running with that particular group. Oh no, we don't. Have and that. It, in clubs in the UK. They're like triathlon clubs, they're full. You can't join up to the club because they're full. I'm like, imagine if we had that problem here yeah. in New Zealand. Yeah. That's why Great Britain is absolutely Pumping smoking it, it yeah. on the world scene. Oh, there we go. I even had a number seven, lack of practice. Practice your own water swimming. Come on, people. Yeah, but it is different in a race and in, in, in an everyday swim. Mm-hmm. But I get what you're saying. You could practice that swimming straight skills, mm. you know. But and like if you're doing an Ironman, Although, I don't know, because I've been an Ironman with, with the new swim rules. Mm. Like, what was it like when you did, did you get in packs? Uh, a lot less so in packs with the, the rolling starts, but there's still a pair of feet you can follow. When you, when you go into a rolling start, do you still get the top guys going at the very start? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, the, uh, I've only done kind of 70.3, and what in happened? general. And how many people did you start with? Uh, five, I think, at a time. Oh, really? And how's mm-hmm. that just self-graded? Uh, yeah, well, this was done by age group, so we were actually ended up being off first. So I was first wave in the first start, first or second. I think I was first wave. So I think I wouldn't swim as well in an Ironman nowadays. No, you wouldn't. Because I was a great, I, I always swam in an Ironman way much better than what I could in the pool. Mm. And it's because I was just a bloody good drafter. Mm. You know, I could, I could just sit on the feet of people who were way better than me. And so I'd gain three or four minutes mm. of speed because I was. Just, just fighting for those Suck feet. those toes. <laughs> Suck those toes. Oh, good times. Okay, let's go wanger of the week. Okay, this week we're going to go number two. Strava looks like it's actually working today, but I'm just going to log in. You're going number two. You're going high. Yeah. yeah we, don't, we don't go higher that often. We often give the winner a bit of love. Yeah. But we don't have to go number two. So I thought, let's go number two. Okay, last week, number two. It was, oh, she's won lots of time, Sonia Pippen. Hey, no, she's oh, still number two. last week or this week? It was last week. Yeah, that just seems weird. It says she's done 23 hours and six minutes of training, but um, when you add up her totals, she's only ridden three hours and 26 minutes and Back one hour and 29 minutes. Back She left the device on. Don't know what's, oh, no, that's a Strava error, not her error. Pull another number out between one and 100, Bevan. You don't want to give her love. Okay, well, no, I'm uh, giving Sonia. Sonia, nice work. 99. If you did 23 hours, that's awesome. Number 99. We've gone from one extreme to the other. So the second to last. Shay Kola. It's a Christchurch, isn't it? Uh, the name rings a bell. 10 hours and 49 minutes of running. No, it's Israel. Israel. You go. You've got to find your bike and your, and your swimming shirt, swim togs if you're on our, uh, if you're on our podcast listening bloody... It's got a good running track. He goes to the running track quite a lot. You can see just perfect running technique around the running track. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is from Tel Aviv in Israel. And Decent runners done a 255 marathon. Well, there's mm-hmm. estimated efforts. 115 half. Pretty decent. <sighs> it's not a triathlete. It's a bloody runner. Hey, you're still on the list, John. Average one kilometre per week in the last four weeks of uh, cycling. Yeah. Zero metres swum. It's still on the list. However, I take that back. I take it back. Sorry, Shy. Uh, longest ride, 224 kilometres. Oh, back biggest it up. Climb. He's just running at the moment. Back it up. Uh, biggest climb, 1,475 metres. Where did he do that? Let's have a look. So Shai, the triathlete, who's having a run focus now. Good on you. Where did he do a morning ride? Somewhere in Israel, is it? I don't know. 
you're telling the story. Yeah. This is great podcasting. Great podcasting. Yeah. Good work, Shai. It was a big climb anyway. Shai, you're a wanger of the week. I think we were perfect harmony for a second there, John. Okay, let's go. Uh, John Swim set. Yep, sorry, I was Mate, trying to figure out this, this, out this climbing. You're all over the place. Today's swim set, uh, there was a few complaints. It was it was quite hard in the end. Started off uh, five 200s descending. So first 200 was warm-up, and each 200 after that was progressively quicker. Then we did 300 metres of individual medley, so three 100s back-to-back, no rest. Eight 100s hard. We're doing them probably getting about 20-ish seconds rest. 600 metres steady swimming. Every three metres changing your breathing patterns. So 50 metres three-stroke breathing, 50 metres five-stroke breathing, 50 metres seven-stroke breathing. Seven-stroke breathing is quite hard. Uh, finished up with 650s, 25 really hard with your head up, chin on the water, so water polo style, and 25 free, and then warm down, and it was about 3Ks-ish, just over 3Ks. In fact, my, my watch told me it was a lot less because I was about five 600 metres in, and I looked down at my watch, and it was saying I didn't, couldn't find the satellites, and that's because I had put uh, open water swimming when I was, in fact, swimming in a pool. Mm. What so, was the um, hardest part of the session? The heads-up swimming is really hard. We haven't done that much for a while. But you Nick? Sorry? Well, it's only 25 metres. I know. Still. Yeah. But, no, you've got to kick hard. You've got to keep a really high stroke rating. Uh, you've got to try to keep your head still. It's fantastic for um, really working on your catch. So... Do some head up swimming. But if you're going to do head up swimming, you've got to do it hard and fast and you've got to keep your head still and you've got to kick strongly. Otherwise, a bit of a waste of time. Okay then. Well done, John. Well done. Who else was there? Give someone else some love. Well, I think we were just about breaking the rules this morning. I think we had seven in our lane. So we're only supposed to have six, but we say that Tom's in my bubble, so we're okay. Uh, we had a bit of Mike Press action. You can all justify your own sins. Nigel Beardsley, Marie Hill. Who else was in there? How's Tommy swimming coming along? Slowly. Slowly, Tyrone was there. Yeah, uh, yeah swimming's coming along slowly. He's swimming that, a lot, but... Is that Pioneer? Yep. Okay, good times. Righto, let's go. Thank you to the patrons. Peter the Potter Welsh. We've got Duncan Danger Penfold. And Thomas is going long. Oh, that's a good one. If you want to become a patron, go to www.imtalk.me. It's all pretty obvious on the website. You can also get the show emailed to you from there. For coaching, go to coachjohnnewsome.com. For my podcast, bevanjamesisles.com. Uh, other content... Age group of the week, cool websites, anything else, I'm talkpodcast at gmail.com. John, what's your goss? What's my goss? We had a long weekend here and I spent a big chunk of my weekend doing a massive clearing job around my house. I don't oh, do it often. I had to be done. Yeah, don't do it often. Five, I think I have about 500 kgs. You're not, of, you're not a big gardener, are you? No, but when I go, you go. I go pretty hard yeah. and I just smash it. Smash it. Cut yeah. everything back like crazy. I did. Whole new light coming into my office and into our laundry and stuff. Neighbours probably aren't so thrilled because now they look at our house a bit more. Uh, but it was hard work. It's funny you say that because I, I, I had a, the old studios. I sold it recently. Mm. Um, and the guy who bought it chopped down the tree straight away. Mm. And I never thought to do that when I was in the house. <laughs> and it was such a genius move because that side of the house was always dark and it was, a, it was an old villa so it got a bit mouldy. Yeah. And I, as soon as I thought... Why did I, I never thought to chop down those trees, yeah. and it was a genius move. So, so no, that was that was really my weekend on the long weekend, and I decided to. Did you feel satisfied? Yep, but I only got about two, half to two thirds of the job done that I wanted. I've got to have another big mission coming up. So that was the weekend, pretty much, and then decided to get up to watch 
the cricket and didn't get up early with the World, world 2020 finals on. I got up and it was about halfway and then I watched a few overs and then turned it off because I thought I can't watch this misery and thankfully didn't get up and watch the rugby. I really turned off rugby. So it was a bit of a dull weekend really and a bit of a dull weekend for sport. However, good on the Black Caps for making the final. It was disappointing. Both games were horrible. Mm. Well, no, the cricket wasn't horrible. The rugby, you Irish listeners, you just pulled our pants down. Mm. Like the fact we were even close was we the All Blacks can score tries from anywhere. We scored we basically for three minutes of the game, we had the ball and we scored three tries in three minutes basically. <laughs> and then the rest of the game, the Irish just made us look like crap. Like if they'd lost they would would have been gutted because they were by far the better team. Like mm. we just had no answer for them. It was just did you watch the, the game England and versus the All Blacks in the World Cup? Mm. We, we oh, yeah, I think that was there. Yeah, that was and it was painful. the same kind of thing. Yeah. They just were better than us. So that sucked. And then the cricket. Again, they were just better than us. Well, yes and no. 